Welcome to the LDS Divorce Coach Podcast. I take the sting out of divorce. This is your host, Emily Sanchez. Hey, everybody. How are you? I'm super excited. Today, I have a guest here. His name is Zach Spafford. He is a life coach for men battling pornography. And so we've got tons of questions for him. And thank you so much for being on, Zach. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be here. This is exciting for me. Awesome. So tell us how you got into this specific niche. Yeah, that's a great question. So this is one of those things that uh, I came by honestly. I started with my own problem and I dealt with it. Mm -hmm. And then as I was dealing with it, um, or as I had dealt with it, my wife started listening to a podcaster named Jody Moore. I don't know if you're familiar with her at all. Yes. Uh, and she would come to me and she'd say, you know, this thing that you did to stop using pornography, Jody just taught that, but she taught it about, you know, overeating or this or that, you know, she'd come to me with a concept and say, Jody just taught me this thing that you used to do. Wow. And I was like, well, yeah, okay, that's, that's how it works. So then we spent a week with Jody up in Spokane uh-huh. and we came back from that event and I said, you know what, this is, this is the thing that we need to be doing. This is how we're going to contribute to the world. Uh, you know, I, um, I'm a, I'm a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so I have this patriarchal blessing and in it, it says in your vocation, you're going to, you're going to do certain good things and, and you're going to contribute wonderfully to the world. And before that I was in insurance and I'm not sure, you know, some people might think that's good. They might think it's bad, but this was really something that called to us and said, Hey, yeah. you, you need to be out there in this space, helping people figure this out. Wow. That is really, really cool. So you really feel like it's a calling, not just, you know, your line of work, but it's an actual calling. And, and I feel the same way with me. And ironically, I was in insurance as well. So I guess it didn't, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I guess it didn't do it for us. Huh? But here we are. And I just think it's an awesome, awesome thing that you're doing. And I already know that you're changing lives. So let's just start in. So I have some general questions. And then I have questions about it in a marriage and then I have questions about when you're divorced more for you know my listeners but I have listeners of all types so I just wanted to start with the general so what signifies an addiction how do you know you actually have an addiction to pornography so I like to use the term addictive behaviors and one of the reasons I use that term is because I don't generally think that we have a lot of actual addictions I mean there's some clinical okay research that indicates that uh, for the most part, most people aren't addicted to most things they think they are. And especially, so uh, I actually read an article recently that, that indicated that most religious people tend to overlabel the idea of an addiction. And so when it comes to overeating or excessive shopping or, you know, pornography, we tend to jump to addiction pretty quick. And for the most part, I would say that the people that I work with, generally speaking, and generally the people in the, on the planet just aren't really dealing with an addiction. They're dealing with a habit. Mm. And habits are pretty strong and they're pretty well ingrained. And if you're familiar with the, the motivational triad, which is your lower brain's function that makes you, helps you survive, you're looking at the three basic things that keep you alive, right? It's, it's conservation of energy, it's seeking pleasure, and it is avoiding pain. It's three basic things. So when you look at the motivational triad and 
how powerfully it creates mm-hmm. um, motivation to to do things like pornography or overeating, things like that. Uh, it almost instantly creates a habit based pathway within your within your neural transmitters. So you're building myelin sheaths wow. along that pathway immediately, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. essentially from the get go with with pornography, you're looking at obviously it's pleasurable. Obviously, it avoids pain because when you feel aroused, you can't feel other feelings. You're not feeling sad or lonely or ho- hopeless or whatever. Right. And right. then to conserve energy, your brain quickly goes, this really feels good and this really dis- helps me feel not bad, which is, you know, your brain doesn't distinguish between I'm going to die because there's a lion and I'm going to die because I'm sad. And so it builds a habit really, really fast. Mm-hmm. And your brain can do that. Your brain creates something around 100,000 new brain cells every day. And so it is really, really quite capable of building a new habit, especially one that has such powerful, uh, powerful draw mm-hmm. every single day. I mean, it's, right. it's extraordinary. So when you say, okay, do I have an addiction when it comes to pornography? The answer is probably no. But being aware that, that there, are, there is a population out there that does. And of course, you're going to have those uh, spouses whether they're men or women who are like, no, my husband or my wife is addicted because they can't just leave it alone. They can't stop. Mm. Well, I, you know, the, the question that I ask there is, okay, well, what percentage of the time are they using? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if somebody comes and knocks on the door and says, hey, can you come do this job with me? Are they literally so compulsive that they can't put it down? Mm-hmm. Or would they be able to be like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get up and go do this. That's a pretty big, that's a pretty big difference. Right. And when you're, you know, you look at people who are addicted to things like drugs, which, you know, have similar, similar, highly addictive properties, you know, you'll find that when they're really addicted, they can't just stop using and go do a job. They literally are incapable of it. And for the most part, most people that I deal with, most people in the world just aren't to that level. And so it's not really what I would call an addiction. Mm -hmm. So an addicted behavior, something maybe you feel like you're powerless to stop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's really, that's really the crux of it is it's, I feel that I can't stop. So I like to make this comparison. So imagine, so we all have agency and agency is a pretty important component of, of, uh, you know, the our religious beliefs and to have agency, you have to have three things. You have to have the ability to choose. You have to know the difference between right and wrong and you have to have consequences. Well, when we say things like I can't stop looking at pornography, Mm -hmm. we're actually abdicating our agency. We're, we're saying I don't have power to choose this thing. And, and that's interesting, especially if you go to the 12 step program, you know, I I spent a lot of time in 12 steps and until I decided I'm, this isn't helpful and you Mm -hmm. go into a 12 step program and what do you hear? I'm powerless against my addiction. And all of a sudden, and, and what's one of the first things you say, hi, my name is Zach and I'm an addict. And so you're in this space of, I can't choose differently. Well, imagine uh, and I, I, this is one of my favorites. So you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? Do you drink coffee? Yes. I do not. Right. Well, what? And if somebody came up to you and said, you're a Mormon, you can't drink coffee, what would you say to them? I'd say, I can drink coffee, but I choose not to. But I choose not to. Now imagine going into, imagine a man walking into Relief Society and saying, I can look at pornography. 
Yeah. They like they wouldn't do it. You wouldn't leave with all your limbs, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh. Thank you for that. But the yeah. but the truth is, we all can, right? And and it's more true that you can look at pornography than you can't. And mm-hmm. you know how I know that's true is because they are, right? Like, right, right. So, so the idea of I can't is really just this construct in our mind that, that helps us justify in some ways or abdicate in other ways our ability to choose in such a way that we, we, we think, oh, I'm not in control of this and so it's not my fault. Mm. And that's that cognitive dissonance that mm-hmm. we all have to get past and go, no, this is my responsibility. And for my clients, I had to go from, I can't stop looking at pornography to I can, and I might choose to today. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden the responsibility of that decision shifts right? It shifts from some unknown power that has control over me to I'm responsible for this decision. And I might make the decision that I don't believe is a good decision. And eventually you get to that same answer, which is the one that you gave me about coffee, which is I can, but I choose not to. Mm-hmm. And that's the process of reasserting your agency and reowning your agency. Well, I love that. And some of the things that you said um, kind of are wrapped up in one of my other questions. And that is, and I was talking to my brother about this. He actually brought this up. He says, it's interesting that, you know, outside of the church, if somebody has a pornography problem, you know, and they feel, you know, they're watching it a lot or, or whatever inside their marriage, the other doesn't seem to freak out as much as we do in the church. And I don't want to be insensitive to people's problems. I know that there's very, very severe cases sure. and I don't want to take away from their pain, but I have just seen that outside of the church, it's like, Oh, porn problem. No big deal. Like, okay. It, why do you think that is? Why do you think in the church? It's like, Oh my gosh, he watched porn. We're going to get a divorce versus yeah. outside. No biggie. So I think a lot of this has to do with actually the, the, the terminology that we use, the things that we say, for instance, your use of the words porn problem mm-hmm. outside of the church, outside of, you know, our moral uh, stance on, on mm-hmm. pornography. It's not pornography problem. It's a, it's pornography use. I use pornography. So what? Right. Okay. So, yeah, so you're, you're looking at it from a completely different perspective. And also we, we tend to, again, over dramatize some of this, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and again, not to diminish the, right, the right. hurt value that, that comes along with your partner using pornography, but understanding that while it is definitely not something that I would advocate someone do, it is not the end of the world. And, you know, statistically speaking, something like 80% of all men in the country have looked at pornography in the last 30 days. So if you think that you are going to divorce your spouse and find a man who's never looking at pornography, you're going to have a pretty tough, tough road to hoe on that. It's going to be hard to find. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying it's hard to find. So it's better to work towards a resolution and help that individual. And a respected church leader that I worked with, he used the term self-abuse when, when he's talking about masturbation. Mm-hmm. And I took a look at, back at that and I thought, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Because we don't talk like that in terms of if someone commits a robbery, right? And they confess to their church leader, they say, I committed a robbery. We don't say, you know, this kind of self-abuse where you're hurting your soul is bad for you. 
right? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to things like masturbation and pornography, we say things like self-abuse, which just that doesn't make any sense from a from a neutral perspective, which is masturbation feels good, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's not really abusive. Like you're not hurting someone other than maybe your spouse, but that they're being hurt because of the way that they think about what you're doing, not because you're punching them, right? Or, or, or verbally accosting them. But really, we just need to be careful about using language that doesn't really accurately describe the reality of the situation. Yeah. I masturbated is very different than self-abuse. You're committing self-abuse, yeah. right? It doesn't make any sense to me. Right, right. And I wrote a whole article. You can read it on my, my website. But uh, it's important that we take a step back and we are careful about the language that we use because when we use language that's judgmental or shaming, you actually drive the problem deeper. You're creating an yes. additional layer of difficulty. I've definitely seen that. So let's say someone recognizes that they do have this habit and they're feeling that powerless feeling. So what are kind of the first five things or a few first steps they can do? Yeah. So that's a really, really good question. And it really boils down to basically four things. It's decide what websites and activities you're going to do that next day, 24 hours in advance without it being an impulse, essentially. So decide which websites you're going to visit, write it down more than 24 hours in advance. So if you know that you're going to be using the internet tomorrow, write it down nine o'clock this morning. These are the websites I'm going to visit. And then the second thing is just visit those websites. Don't go to any other website. Right. If it's not on your list, you don't go there. Mm-hmm. So if on your list is LDS.org and Yahoo News, you don't go anywhere else. That's it. Mm-hmm. And then allowing your urges. And this is something that's not simple and easy for most people. And I, I like to liken this to uh, pushing a boulder uphill, an infinitely tall hill. Uh, you know, you might be able to do it for a little while. Uh, but eventually your strength's going to give out and that boulder's going to take just take you back down the hill or just grabbing onto the bill, the the boulder. So those two things are white knuckling it and giving into your urge. And those are two basically those are two decisions on the same path to failure or you could just step to the side and watch the boulder. And this is the thing that we're not very good at. In fact, I just did a podcast called Action Bias and it you know, as humans, we generally tend to think I need to do something. Mm. Well, allowing your urge is really doing nothing while observing the existence of the urge. Mm-hmm. And that is not easy for people. That That's very, very difficult for most people. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that. And then you repeat that, those three things, and then yeah. you repeat every single day. And so, repeat. Yeah. Uh, visit only those websites, allow your urges, and repeat every day. Okay. It sounds a lot like weight loss, you know, meal prepping, <laughs> you know, getting in that, yes. that mind frame of, of preparing yourself and sticking to that. So that's interesting. Well, right. so as I sat in Jody Moore's uh, Be Bold Masters course up in Spokane, it's me and 50 women and one other guy. Uh-huh. And I'm looking around and they're all talking about weight loss. And all I hear is pornography, pornography, pornography. You're feeling. And I, I opened the question to the whole group. I said, listen, I'm, I'm really curious about this. What is the difference between pornography use 
and overeating. And no one, no one came up with a difference other than, I mean, if we take and set aside for the moment, the moral perspective, the moral, right. Shouldn't do this because Jesus says so. Right. Because our prophets uh, uh, have, you know, warned us against it, but you could take that same argument to food, right? You, sh you shouldn't overeat and you shouldn't eat too much meat and you shouldn't uh, drink coffee and tea and all of those things as well, right? So there is a moral component to your eating as well. Mm -hmm. And so as, as I look at it and as, as I think it makes the most sense, pornography and overeating, they are pretty similar in terms of how they interact with your brain and how they help you buffer through uh, the hard times of your life. Mm. I love that comparison. Now let's move over a little bit to parenting. You have eight kids. <laughs> yes, I do. So I, yes, and I have five, and many of my listeners have a lot of kids. So yeah. how, how do we talk to them? How do we bring up these conversations? And yeah. when? Do we do it early, you know, about the pornography topic? Yeah, I think for every parent, you've got to feel that out for every child you know like we have a 15 year old and we ask questions to him on a daily basis mm -hmm. right it well maybe not daily but it's consistency and persistency when it comes to when you have the conversations right mm -hmm. uh consistency regularly and persistency don't let him get off the hook by saying well, I don't know, right and be good with your questions be you know frame your questions in a way that are designed to actually understand what's going on rather than hey Hey, do you want to talk about pornography? Of course they don't want to talk about <laughs> pornography, right? No, they don't. Uh, but say things like, when was the last time you saw pornography? When was the last time you looked at pornography? Because I think those are two different things, right? I think that pornography is kind of ubiquitous in our lives. Uh, but there's, there's a difference between seeing it and actually engaging in it. And, mm -hmm. and so that's a, a pretty important distinction. And then we have younger kids. You know, we have a 13-year-old a, a boy now just turned 13, mm. he couldn't care less, but he's also, you know, he'd rather read a book than mm -hmm. be, on, be on electronics. So be persistent, be consistent in your conversations and make sure you're not letting your kids off the hook. A really good time to have that conversation is when you're in the car because they cannot escape. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You sound like a professional with all these kids. <laughs> but no, I've always heard good questions will give you good answers. So yeah. really in that well, question. And you as a parent really need to prepare for that conversation, prepare for what your child is going to say, because I can guarantee you, if you freak out when yeah. your child says, well, I saw it here and I did this and whatever, right. you're never going to hear any more about it. Right. That'll be the last time you have that conversation with them where they're honest. Mm -hmm. You need to be prepared to recognize that what they did is not going to end the world mm -hmm. and understand that punishing them is mm -hmm. not going to be helpful. It's not going to drive the result that you're looking for. It's going to drive the behavior deeper. Being willing to say, okay, how can we choose to do this differently going forward and uh, bring, obviously bring love to that conversation, yes. but also a, an idea of um, problem solving and desire to help more than anything is going to be a much more effective conversation than if you're like, what? Mm. You did what? Mm -hmm. Where in my house, you know, that sort of mm. dynamic is not going to help, help your Absolutely. child. And moving into that same vein, but in the marriage perspective, how can a spouse help 
let's say they just barely found out or they caught saw porn on the computer and you know they or know hard porn house, or whatever you know, right? or whatever they find so, well, so so tell me you know more so let me tell you what happened when my wife first found out awesome okay <laughs> she had my she was using my com company computer for something i don't remember what she found that i had been on some websites and she literally lost her mind and threw my company laptop down our basement stairs. It was a very traumatic experience for both of us because I was like, I'm going to lose my job and I'm going to lose my wife. And she was, of course, I'm going to lose my husband and I can't yeah. believe afraid me. Yeah. And so yeah. all of those emotions were in that room. And that is essentially what not to do. That is like the least uh, valuable thing. And I think that you you really have to make this decision beforehand. You have to decide, okay, what is, what am I willing to deal with? Mm -hmm. And I think you have to be willing to understand that most men, and I say most because statistically, again, statistically speaking, 80% of all the men in the United States have looked at pornography in the last 30 days. Right. Most men have used pornography. And so you have to be willing to say, is this a deal breaker for me? and deal with the consequences, be willing to deal with the consequences of that. And that's fine if, you, if your decision is, no, I won't have pornography in my life, I won't have it, my husband using pornography, that is not acceptable in my life. That's totally fine if that's your decision, and that means divorce for you. But you have to be willing to understand that all the consequences that come along with that. Mm -hmm. And that's not an easy decision to make. That's a pretty tough one to make, and you've got to be willing to understand that. And then again, come with compassion to that conversation because even if your decision is, yeah, pornography is not acceptable in my marriage, pornography is not going to be here and I'm going to leave if it happens, you have to be willing to, one, follow through with that, but two, you really need to come to, to it from a place of, I love me and I love this other person, but I'm just not willing to have this as part of my life, not a place of rage or, you right. know, vindictiveness that's not going to it's not going to help you it's not going to help your spouse it's not going to help your children um if you have any at that point and i've been in on some conversations with young women mm -hmm. you know pre-marriage age young women and you hear you know some of the young women's leaders going you know if he has this problem whatever the problem is if it's pornography or some other specific problem they say you just want to turn and run I don't know that we're doing any service to our young women because right because it's so ubiquitous uh, it's out there it's right and and let's turn that on its head right let's turn that on its head for a moment and say well if your wife overeats and she becomes a 300 pound right. woman right you should run away right that, like we would all say that's just nonsense and not acceptable um and yet we think that it's okay in this other particular avenue and and i'm not I don't mean to minimize what pornography is and how it hurts people, but I, I do want to recognize that humans are pretty good at solving problems. And we're pretty good at being, um, being a, a group, you know, a cohesive group, a marriage couple is a pretty important, mm -hmm. you know, cohesive group. And when you put your ability to solve problems in with your desire to, to have that marriage commitment, you can pretty much overcome anything. And so don't underestimate your ability to, to solve a problem, even though it might be uncomfortable. So let's say the spouse is taking on more of a, okay, I'm in this. Like I, 
Um, yeah, of course, don't want this in my marriage, but I want to see it through with you. What kind of role can they play? What steps can they do to show support? Uh, yeah, that's a really great question. One thing I want to say, I want to give you some kind of don'ts first. Uh, hey. Don't try to control it. Yeah. Uh, don't police it. Yes. Uh, be open to conversations, but don't be judgmental about them. Uh, don't try to punish your spouse because none of those things are going to solve the problem. They're not even going to help. They're probably going to make it worse. It's going to drive the behavior down uh, you know, into the shadows rather than keep an open dialogue. And it's going to provide your, your spouse with an excuse, right or wrong, but an excuse to say, I don't need, I don't need to fix this. I can just deal with it on my own. Uh, so I would start there and then turn almost every single one of those on its head and say, right. Okay. How can I help? Well, be open, uh, be willing to understand that this really isn't about you. I know it feels like it's about you. And that's probably the number one thing that every woman who has dealt with this will say to you mm -hmm. in the beginning, at, at least that this is about me. And because I'm not good enough. Well, the truth is you are good enough. You're perfect just the way you are. Uh, your spouse is having trouble dealing with his emotions. That's what it is. That's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. uh, and once you can help him or her feel their feelings in a more productive way, this is probably going to deal with itself. You know, I call this behavior a buffer. Mm -hmm. Overeating is a buffer. Scrolling on your Facebook is a buffer. Mm -hmm. We all do this to some extent. And having compassion for that, you know, and understanding that your spouse is using something that you know you find morally wrong probably a much better way to handle it rather than freak out and say you're a bad person mm -hmm. not and and i'm not going to live with you anymore that was going to be my next question is how do they not take on the blame how you know that that is what i hear the most of uh, married and divorced you know after the fact they still feel like Maybe it was me. I wasn't, you know, thin enough or, or sexy enough or he didn't desire me. So he had this problem and they yeah. carry that with them. Oh, I wish my wife was here to answer this question because this, this is one of my favorites. Um, and this is the story she would probably tell is that, you know, when she found out that I had been using and we had just moved to California and I was using pornography to kind of buffer as I was climbing the corporate ladder. Um, you know, she weighed, like, I think 125 pounds, maybe oh you know, she had four kids at that point. She, uh, listen, my wife is a good looking woman. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and she decided to think that if, you know, her thought was if he's going to use pornography, then he's going to have a fat wife. That, that was exactly the story that she told Getting herself. Back. <laughs> right. And, and think about that in terms of it's neither good for her and it's not necessarily helping me. And yet this is the behavior that she chose to do so that she could feel good. And which again, going to that buffer. And I will say this for every woman out there. It, this is not about you. It really isn't. I mean, you look at cases like Kobe Bryant, right? Where his wife was basically a supermodel and yet he's right. finding uh, extracurricular activities on the side. And it's not because he didn't have a wonderful, beautiful wife. And it, it, for me, it wasn't because I didn't have a wonderful, beautiful wife. No. It was because I was coping with the difficulties of my, my stressful life 
mm-hmm. in a way that was not healthy and, and in a way, honestly, that I didn't like, but that I didn't know how else to do. And so understand that that's what your spouse is doing. Right, right. They're doing something so that they can feel better. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's definitely not about you. How would you go about helping a spouse feel like they can trust again? Is, is there, you know, the, the hope of it, the, the coming out on the other side? How do they, you know, with that separation, how do they feel like, can I ever trust again? Yeah, so trust is really a story you tell yourself, right? I mean, think about it. If you walked into a random room and you found your spouse there, right? The one that you're going to marry. You look at them and you say, I'm going to trust this person. And there are all kinds of ways that that trust can break down, right? Like from abuse to pornography use to um, money issues. Like there are a number of ways that you can say, I can't believe that you're this person, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you can also just as easily say, I'm going to trust in you and I'm going to believe in what you're going to accomplish. And I'm going to have that value. I'm going to create that value within my life. And that's, that's just a story you tell yourself. I trust this person. I don't trust this person. It's a matter of deciding, am I willing to put my trust in that person? Now that doesn't mean you don't have boundaries, Mm -hmm. right? And you know, if, if you feel like, you know what, if you use pornography, uh, I, I'm not going to stay married to you. That's, I think, you know, a pretty extreme boundary or, you could go to, you know, some women, they do a, uh, this is what my wife would do. She would just say, I'm not going to be intimate with you until I'm ready. Mm. Right. And then that puts the choice back into her court. She's able to just simply say, I'm, I'm ready and willing to be intimate with you. But I think you can't, you can't just say, I, I have no trust ever anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. You have to go out and you have to probably look for a lot of that, that trust and, and decide, is this, the person that I still want to be married to. And if that's, if that's true, then I am going to decide to continue to trust them. Or. Uh, yeah. Or as, as you were talking, I just was thinking of a conversation I had with a woman who um, her spouse cheated on her and she felt like she was finally at a place where she wanted to trust. Yeah. She wanted to forgive she wanted so i think a lot of it is in desire you know with with the story so yeah i, I love yeah, it it's a choice trust is a choice yeah, it's not, yeah. like, there's not some magic moment where it's like oh now i trust you differently right it's a choice now what would you say as far as someone who you know has tried their best to put the boundary up and it's just getting broken down all the time and the pornography use it's not getting better and uh look i said pornography use instead yeah, of oh, good job. i'm getting better already <laughs> but what would you say is there a point where throwing in the towel you know and i guess it's individual what what would you say to this person who just feels like gosh i'm not okay with pornography but i'm not okay with divorcing like yeah so I mean, the idea of the boundary getting broken, boundaries are about what you choose to do, not about someone crossing a line, right? So if your mother-in-law comes over and she, you know, always just walks into your house uh, unannounced, you might say to her, listen, I love you and you're you're my mother-in-law and I want you to come over, but I need you to call or text me beforehand and get 
you know, let me know and let me answer that you, that I'm ready and willing for you to come over before you come to my house. Because if you don't, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to ignore you. Right. Mm -hmm. Now you have two things here, right? So one, you've set the boundary. You said, listen, I need you to do X if you want to come to my house. And two, you have this action that you're going to follow through with. And most of the time when we fail, when our boundaries keep getting overrun, mm-hmm. it's when we fail to follow through with what we say on, on number two there. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I'm a woman and I say, well, I'm going to divorce you if you ever look at pornography again, and then you don't divorce him. Well, that's not really a boundary. That's just a threat. Right. Um, where, you know, if you're going to choose to set a boundary, you need to be conscious about it. You need to be conscientious about it. You need to set it up in, in a way that you're willing to follow through. Because if it's not something you're willing to follow through with, don't set it. It's only going to create frustration. Right, right. Oh, I love that. So it's really individual, and that puts the oh, power yeah. back into your hands. It's what you yeah. And if you say, I'm going to leave for two days, and I'm going to go sleep at a hotel with the kids. Right. Then right. do it. Right. Absolutely do it, 100%. And, and again, you have to do this from a place of love. This right. cannot be a punishment. And yeah. And there's no boundary out there is a punishment. And what I mean by that is you can't say to your husband, you know, I'm going to hurt you by doing X, Y, Z because you hurt me. Mm -hmm. Because that's not going to solve the problem, one. And two, it's only going to create frustration and upsetness between the two of you. Mm -hmm. But if you say, I love you and I still, I'm going to choose to continue to be married to you, but the consequences of you choosing to do this are going to be, you're going to be alone for a week. Mm-hmm. because I'm going to take the kids and we're not going to talk to you for a week. And it's not because we don't love you. It's because we need that space to get our heads right for continued trust and continued relationship. Then that's a different place that you're coming from. And you have to come from that place of love. You can't come from a place of vindictiveness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Now you already brushed upon this, so we might be, you know, beating a dead horse, but to my divorced friends who want to date again, there is a, the trust thing again. And like you said, it is a story we tell ourselves. So you may have already answered this, but what would you say to them? Many are like, if I hear that he or she has ever looked at porn, I am moving on. I'm not even giving that person a chance. I'm going to run away. Like, what do you say as far as uh, trust and uh, uh, dating again? Now, again, I'm not going to say that you can't find a man or a woman out there who has not ever looked at pornography or never will look at pornography again. I'm not saying that that's an impossibility. What I am saying is that there are warts in everyone's life. Mm -hmm. There is not a person out there who doesn't have some sort of issue. And when you get married to somebody or you date somebody for a long time, you start to find those. And you have to be willing to understand that either you're going to deal with that issue for the rest of your life because you love that person and this one thing does not define them or you're unwilling to be with that person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and maybe again, everybody has a different limit. You know, I had a friend who we loved. I mean, we love, we love him, him and we love her and they're great people. And she said, the only thing that would make me leave my husband is if he cheated on me twice right? That was her, like she had that in her mind. That was, you know, once I think I could forgive, but twice uh, that would be my limit, right? 
Right. And then other people, it's all the way to, you know, if they brush their teeth funny and they get spots on the mirror, I'm just not going to be able to handle that. And so you have to decide where that line is for you. And you have to recognize that everybody has, has trouble out there, including you, right? And, and if you continue to go from marriage to marriage and the only thing that changes is the husband, then it might be a good time to look or the, or the wife then it might be a good time to look in the mirror and say, okay, how can I become the better person, the person that I really want to be so I can show up as the husband or the wife that I want to be in my marriage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For the most part, there's, there's no relationship out there that's going to make you better. Mm. It's you making you better. All of it's inside, right? right? It's everything between your ears. It's all the thoughts that you think that create the reality that you live. Yeah, that's so true. Many of um, my clients are co-parents. In fact, all of them but one. And um, some of them feel like they're dealing with this issue of, you know, pornography was part of the breakdown of their marriage. And it got so bad that, you know, I'll just give you, I'll just tell you straight up, okay, how it is. It her ex-husband was watching pornography and masturbating in the same room as their two-year-old daughter. And so now, you know, she went through the custody battle and she was very afraid. She was afraid that somehow that would transfer, she would be affected in some way or that she would see it or whatever. You can imagine the thoughts that she's having. And so what advice would you give co-parents where they feel that, you know, their spouse's pornography use was addiction and that they feel that it could potentially be harmful to their children? What, what would you say to them and how to deal with that co-parenting issue? Yeah, I think that's a really tough question. I, I think the reality there is that you can only do what you can do, right? And, right. And whether that's a, a, a court-ordered solution based on the the facts that you've brought or if that's simply choosing to say i know that my husband or my ex-husband or my ex-wife they're doing the best that they can and i'm gonna i'm gonna love them even though i don't live with them anymore i'm gonna love them as a human as a person as a child of god and i'm gonna talk to them as though i love them Mm -hmm. get a lot more traction in terms of okay hey listen i'd really appreciate it if you just didn't use pornography around our kids that said you got to recognize that you do not have control over that Mm -hmm. and and that's the reality of the fact and and i'm sure you've said that to your to Mm -hmm. your clients that the truth is you can only control what you can control and so do you want to spend all your days frustrated worrying about what somebody else is doing Are you going to choose to do what you can do, be your best person Mm -hmm. and love the the people around you? Mm -hmm. And, and once you do that, everything else kind of just falls into place. And I know that sounds like a kumbaya answer, but the, no, it's tough. There's, there's a lot you can do and and you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly how I coach my clients is that you do have the power, you have the boundaries, you have, you know, the control of how you approach the situation. You, you know, you do not have the control when they're somewhere else, as in when they're off to college, when they're over the a friend's house, when they're here, when they're there. But 
yeah, it, it's a tough thing when they've seen such a, a horrible event take place, but you're right. Well, and I mean, I get it from a, from a mom perspective, from a dad perspective, you want to protect your children from as many things as you possibly can. Uh, but the truth is, is that you can't protect them from everything. That is not a cop out. That's not a, Oh yeah, don't try. Mm -hmm. That is just the reality. And you can only, you can only do so much. So beating yourself up about it or putting excessive stress on your, on your relationships with others about it is not, it's not going to help solve the problem. Mm-hmm. True. Well, I'm just so thankful that you joined me today. And with our conversation, I've thought of other questions that I'll ask, ask you. Them. I got some time. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close today, but I want you to come back on. I, I want Absolutely. you to come back on later. So we'll have our little seg- segment with Zach Spafford and that sounds awesome. Then. But thank you. I really think that I, I'm ho- I feel hopeful. That's what I feel. I, and I hope that people listening feel hopeful too. And whatever you know, aspect with parenting or in a marriage or divorce and parenting, there's many things we can do. You know, and and that open heart and love, I think, is you hit it there. That that's key. Yeah, absolutely. It's this is one of the most important things that you can do is make sure that you love yourself. Yeah. And by extension, everyone around you. And the reality there is, is that that will drive a much better result. That'll drive a better reality. That'll drive a better you showing up as who you want to be every day, every single day. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for listening today. Come on over and visit me at coachemilysanchez.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, make it a great day.